Attention crew, this is your captain, Caliban, speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. You know that part in Star Trek Insurrection? It's probably the best part. No, not the credits. Uh, it's at the beginning, before Admiral Dawati calls them about data. They're getting their dress uniforms on, they're, they're hustling through the corridors, they've got a first contact to do, there's some diplomatic mission, there's some archaeological dig, and Picard says... Can anyone remember when we used to be explorers? That is how I feel right now. I feel like it's been so long since I've been able to just fire off another hopefully engaging installment of Enterprising Individuals and go back to playing video games... But that's not what life has in store for me currently. And before you get scared, this show isn't going anywhere. It's not your fault. Mommy and Daddy are fighting. No, not really. I'm a podcast fan myself. I listen to way too many podcasts. And I've closed a few of them out. I, you, know, you can listen to them and it gets to a point where you can tell it's kind of running down. And you start to dread hearing the host come on and say, well, it's been fun and I've appreciated your support and so on and so on. And it means they're going off the air. You know, something happens, they're too busy, they have a fight with their co-host, they can't afford hosting, it's time to close up shop, life happens. As a veteran podcast listener, I've gotten used to seeing or hearing the signs that the host of the podcast that I'm listening to is tapped out, uh, the show isn't long for this world, and I just realized that the canary in the coal mine for that situation is usually a, a late episode <laughs> with the host talking directly to the audience saying something like, the show isn't going anywhere. <clears throat> Uh, but we aren't. Uh, life isn't happening to us. We're happening to life. This show is growing by leaps and bounds. And if anything, it's growing pains. That is the issue here. Uh, this thing, this thing's going to center in the NBA by the time it reaches its full height. And the three reasons I mentioned why hosts quit. Too busy, fight with co-host, can't afford it. None of them apply. I'm never not busy. This show wouldn't exist if business was poison to it. Uh, I don't have a co-host, though I fight with myself sometimes. Shut up. And I can afford to do the show thanks to the generous contributions of the patrons. So we're moving past our scheduling issues. We're solving our technical hiccups. We're planning out an insane second half of 2019. And we're getting back to being explorers again, or in this case, explorers of the series, characters, and stories of that good, good Star Trek that we love so much. Here's how insane things are going to be in our future. I just found out we are going to Shore Leave 2019 in two weeks. Shore Leave is a fan-run convention in Maryland, and it's all about space sci-fi from Trek to Stargate to Andromeda, Dark Matter, Killjoys, all that great stuff. Uh, plus, it's a hub for a lot of Star Trek novelists, uh, many of whom have appeared on this very show. And I hope I get a chance to sit down with some of them and talk some Trek. So stay tuned for a supplemental episode about that very soon. Uh, I've also assembled a crack team of panelists to talk about Star Trek and feminism on an upcoming show. Star Trek gets a lot of praise for being feminist, and it's undeniably feminist, but some of those uh, TOS and early TNG episodes, uh, not so great. So we're going to give Trek a report card vis-a-vis -vis its feminism in its early days, and we're going to talk about how things have thankfully gotten better. And, oh yeah, 
David Mack is back on the show next week talking about the episode that he wrote of DS9, Starship Down, and the process of writing it and seeing it being produced. And he is really way too humble about the whole thing. He is super retiring. I love that episode uh, more than him, I think. But uh, we can get to the bottom of the episode, so keep tuning in for all of that. Now, this week, part of the whole the warp core is going critical thing with the show is that some of the content that we planned for pride month, which is this month had to be cut for scheduling and technical problems, which is extremely frustrating. However, I was very fortunate to get a chance to sit down with Heather Ray to discuss Star Trek and the relative gayness thereof. And just like with the issue of feminism, Trek has kind of poked around at the edges of LGBTQ issues and has obliquely addressed them. But It wasn't until Star Trek Discovery came out that we finally got honest-to-God gay and lesbian characters on screen, which was way too long for a show about equality and representation. Still, it's not all bad news, and Heather and I talk about the history of representation in Trek and sci-fi, the sometimes extremely flat arc of justice as it relates to equality, uh, the way Trek still trips over itself on LGBTQ issues, and we talk about the hopeful future of Trek on TV and the supportive online LGBTQ fan community. One quick note on that last point. Shortly after we recorded this interview, Heather got involved with a clash with William Shatner, of all people, on Twitter. Suffice it to say, uh, she tweeted something thoughtless and something unconsidered about Shatner, which she shouldn't have done and she's since apologized for. Shatner, for his part, went nuclear on her and he sicked his Twitter army of sycophants on Heather, essentially driving her off the platform. I don't really know exactly the particulars of what happened, but from the outside, it looks like someone said something mean about a famous person, and then that famous person spent an entire morning making sure that they could never tweet again. We talk a lot about online civility in this upcoming interview, and it's going to seem a little ironic, but remember, we're all one thoughtless comment away from getting into trouble online, and that if for no other reason, is a good motivation to keep it civil when talking to people on social media. Heather knows that now more than she ever did. And as for Shatner, he's learned nothing. He claimed repeatedly that she threatened him with death. She did not. And he ranted for hours about SJWs and their conspiracies to get him. And subsequently, his fans, hear the quotes there, threatened Heather with hundreds of rape and death threats. So where exactly is the justice here? Talk about breaking a butterfly on a wheel. But hopefully, Mr. Shatner will one day recover from this experience. Do you know how often lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people are attacked online? And let's face it, in real life, it's a lot. Normally on the show, at this point or at the end of the show, I take time to plug my Patreon. But that's not important right now. What is important is providing support to LGBTQ adults and teens who need it. Please consider giving to LGBTQ charities. I'm including a few good ones in the show notes. There's the Human Rights Campaign, which is a civil rights organization which seeks to influence state and federal lawmakers to defend the rights of LGBTQ citizens. There is the Knight Ministry, which is an organization that provides housing and health care and human connection to the homeless. Did you know that LGBTQ young people are two and a quarter times as likely to experience homelessness? It's true. So they need your support. Also, there's the GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, or GLAD with one A, a group that fights discrimination based on gender identity and expression, HIV status, and sexual orientation. They are out there fighting in the courts for people who need help, and you can help them by donating. Links to all of these great organizations are in our show notes. Come on, Pride Month may be ending, but the support has to continue. So navigate to these web zones and pledge some support. Get involved. 
All right, that's it for me this week. I'm headed back to the podcast Minds, but enjoy my conversation with Heather. Come back next week for a talk with David Mack and also be looking for in two weeks our live show from CVG 2019 talking about Star Trek 2009. It's going to be great. With that, let's get underway. Heather, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. I always ask first-time guests on this show how they first discovered Star Trek. When did you first become a Star Trek fan? Oh, man. So I had a weird start with Star Trek. Um, yeah, I, do tell. Well, I remember watching it. So I I, I was I was a nerd as a kid, right? Like I was, I grew up in um, rural Kentucky until I was about nine and it was a weird environment. Like nerdy, nerdy things weren't cool. And Star Trek was for nerds, but I was still like, I, I don't know. By the time I moved down to South Florida, like I was always watching nerd stuff on TV. I got really big into like fifth element when that came out and Stargate um, and Sequest and all of those things. And I remember watching an episode of Star Trek and I can't tell you which one it was. I'm pretty sure it was Voyager and I thought it was terrible and it could have just been a terrible <laughs> episode of Voyager. It's possible. <laughs> um, but I just remember watching and thinking, wow, like this dialogue just, it, it felt like it was just being read off of a page. And I was like, oh, well, I guess this one's not for me. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult, that was probably middle school or so, I think, when I saw that. Um, so it wasn't until I was an, an adult and I met my ex-husband and he grew up watching Star Trek. His mother was the one, the big Trekkie in the family. Uh, mm. And so I'd rather thank her than my ex-husband. But I've just come to realize that if that's the good thing I take away from that marriage, sure. <laughs> then I'm okay with it. Um, sure. But yeah, we got really pumped um, around 2009 with the J.J. movies coming out and yeah. wound up like binging pretty much all of Star Trek except the original series at that point. And saw the movie in the theater, gosh, I think three times. You know, of course, I was like bawling in those first five minutes. Uh, and it it just kind of exploded because that year we're like, why don't we go to a Star Trek convention? Um, I had I had worked in um, I had managed a comic book shop for a while. So I was in, you know, nerd culture and I was going to Comic Cons when they were still relatively small. But I hadn't been to a Star Trek only convention so sure. that's how I found Star Trek Las Vegas. And so we went in 2009 and it's now 2019 and this will be my consecutive year going to that convention. So yeah, it's just, it really, you know, the, the ex-husband's gone, but Star Trek stayed. So Star Trek stuck around. Yeah, you got that yeah, in the divorce. Star sure. Trek is really, <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's become a, a huge part of my life. Um, my partner and I have watched Discovery People at our fencing club are Trekkies. Like, I love finding Trekkies in the wild and then Trekkies within your other hobbies. Uh, so, yeah, it's just, it's been a huge, huge part of my life through so much. And uh, I I never, never look back. It's made my life a whole lot better. So I'm super grateful. And around 2009, when the movie comes out, the reboot movie, and you're binging Star Trek, is are you doing it on like Netflix or how are you getting it? Because the streaming sort of environment wasn't really up to snuff the way it is now. Yeah, man, no, I feel like I feel like it was some kind of streaming. I don't know if it was on Netflix sure. at that point. Um, yeah. I know, like we had a really crazy DVD collection too, but I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember if we watched the DVDs. I know that when all of the Blu-ray releases came out, 
you know, we mm-hmm. ha- had to go buy those and then watch watch everything in, in HD. So I remember. Yeah, right. Um, right. And that was way past ex-husband was gone by then. Um, but I remember like getting all of TNG on the Blu-rays and like waiting for them to come out. And right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Going through that. So, I, yeah, I I still want to say that it was somehow online. I just don't know. I don't mm-hmm. want to say we downloaded it illegally because I don't think that we did. <laughs> but gosh, I don't know for sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like the uh, that era of like the mid 2000s or so, like when Battlestar Galactica was out. Yeah. Uh, when we would binge that, it would just be DVD changer, you know, DVD one, two, three, yep. four, uh, get something to eat, come back next season. Yeah. yeah. And I did watch Enterprise. I So I watched Enterprise was the first Star Trek that I watched on TV as it was airing. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't recommend Enterprise for for Star Trek starter pack. Um, not to start, yeah. Not for women. Uh, it was it was difficult <laughs> well, for me. I didn't like I I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. So right about the time when it got good in the third season is when I bailed. Um, okay. And sure. like I yeah I don't even remember like we it might have been on, but I didn't pay attention. I feel yeah. terrible about it now because, of course, I've gone back and I've rewatched all the series several times. And I have good thoughts about Enterprise. It's just, you know, it's just not the strongest Star Trek for me. It's down there in the bottom. Um, but I did also see Nemesis in the theater. And so I have yeah. a soft spot for Nemesis as bad <laughs> as a rep as it has. Like, yeah. I I think of it fondly because I got, that's like the only, you know, older older Star Trek movie I got to see in a theater. So it's special right. to me. And at the time, I didn't think it was bad. So, right. you know, I it, when you're when you're new to Trek like that or when you when you watch Trek without like all all the baggage that comes comes you, along yeah. with being a Trek, yeah. you know, this, this huge Trekkie. <laughs> Um, you can enjoy it a lot more. And I found that like with the Orville uh, because sure. I watched the first season of the Orville and I really struggled with it. Um, the uh, Seth MacFarlane is just not a, not a feminist. Um, <laughs> not so, exactly. No, it's, I, it's tough because, you know, it has great women characters, um, but at the same time, like, we have to say the B word in every episode in some, some <laughs> yeah. respect, um, whether you're calling the woman character that or referring to son of a bleep, you know, it's like, all right, on top of right. just like the potty humor and stuff. But I went back and watched it again. And once I got to the second season, like everyone had said, it gets better. And some of that like potty humor is toned down. And, and I, I watched it, you know, without reservations. I just said, I'm going to, just watch this objectively and I wound up enjoying it. I think it still had some problematic episodes and issues, um, but it also did some things that I wasn't expecting. Uh, and and so I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes our love for Star Trek gets in the way of enjoying Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can see that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can say, you know, for Nemesis, you know, as far as Nemesis goes, it's definitely the best Star Trek movie with a dune buggy in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, you know, uh, out of a category of one. It's, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, looking back, like, and I also, like, it's, it's taken me some time to really uh, develop my, my senses. Uh, as as a feminist, believe it or not, and so yeah. like you know a lot of the stuff that happens to Beverly and Deanna. Um, oh yeah, 
it's just tough. And especially in Nemesis with her, yeah, we won't go there. That's for another podcast, as we say. Yeah, I never thought about that. I'm sure many fans didn't, but I never thought about that side of it as well. Like, why why are the only two female characters? And you see this weird pattern where it seems like there's just two female main characters in every Star Trek iteration. Like, they just had two, and that was good enough. And then we just go from there. And one of them is like a nurturing like mother type, you know, and then the other isn't. And it just is like, wow, uh, it just never really occurred to me. And it's just so blatant now. Yeah. And I wish I could tell you a reason, you know, beyond <laughs> uh, misogyny because it's not. And it's it's really tough because I think it's important to have varied perspectives or at least, you know, multiple voices when we're talking about these things. Um, because yeah. Star Trek has a has a confusing history, you know, with messages of yeah, empowering yeah. and uplifting women and women of color while also being very misogynistic at times. Um, and, and it's, it's confusing. Um, it reminds yeah. me a lot of Playboy. Uh, and I use that analogy sometimes when I talk about it because there were a lot of women who posed for Playboy or worked for Playboy, you know, when it was a hot thing, um, when it was revolutionary, um, and they take full ownership of their agency and choosing to do that work and and enjoying it. And, And many of the actresses that were in Star Trek said the same thing, and yet you also have the women who talk about, you know, the blatant harassment um, within play, Playboy and like the Playboy clubs, um, they had pretty stringent rules on how to treat the women. How, yeah, right. however, like that still there it, there were still problems. Like if you know enough sure. about Playboy culture, um, and half especially, and that you know again, it's just a really not a great area. I I respect. I respect women who make those choices. I respect sex workers. Um, I don't respect when that agency gets muddled by harassment and mistreatment and everything else. And there's a lot of that history within Star Trek um, with, you know, people like Grace Lee Whitney um, and, and Terry Farrell and what she dealt with on DS nine, like, you know, and, and, you know, Gates McFadden struggled. So it's, it's something that's just also prevalent in show business, um, yeah. even to this day. <laughs> yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. There's also just the question of like, you know, if you're doing something like Playboy, which I think on paper could be totally fine. Like, you want to look at some boobs, fine. You, you know, who, who cares? But who is it really marketed to? What's the audience? Okay. What are you cultivating as uh, your audience? And it reminds me of, well, the Orville, really. Like, it couldn't have come at a better or worse time when Star Trek is back on the screen and we've got a show filled with LGBTQ characters and we're trying to get rid of a toxic masculinity as much as possible. And anybody who doesn't like that, and there are plenty of people that don't want to take their medicine, can run off to this dick and fart show <laughs> on another network and feel like, I'm home. And it's just like, no, you should, you should have taken that medicine. It would have been better yeah. for you to have some of that medicine. I And I definitely can see where Discovery... Discovery has representation like to a T, like beyond and above previous Star Trek. 
Um, yeah. And I have seen complaints about it being too PC. Um, I've seen a lot, you know, of course, I've seen a lot of complaints. So I talk, you know, when it's on air, I talk about it every week and I'm super active on Twitter. And so, you know, block and mute are my best friends. Um, oh boy. Well, and I, you know, look, I never mind. And I, I, I want to have constructive conversations about what we don't like, what we like, what's problematic, what's not. Um, yeah. However, you know, there's definitely a certain sect of people that refer to discovery as STD and just are like are never going to like it. Um, And that's, uh, you know, at this point for me, that's just it's not my jam. I don't think discovery is perfect, but I do really like it. Um, And I think that it is very different from the Orville. I don't watching the Orville. I don't quite understand beyond the fact that it looks like it could be a star trek show and it's got the episodic you know longer not longer but um slower paced so like i get a little bored (laughs) it's terrible i get a little bored with some of the orville just because it's a lot of it is just it is character developed like it's it's like old school star trek um we have an episode about one or two characters you know a plot b plot and you've got like four main characters um and i do miss that with star trek and i appreciate it in the orville um but outside of like those minor things i don't think that it that it really is in the spirit of star trek because you wouldn't get this potty humor and the type of humor and the mixed message yeah. episodes like the morality is somewhat odd um have you seen through the second season or have you seen any of it i haven't watched it at all okay so yeah. it's and it's tough because again like that first season for me was almost like pulling teeth like i i made myself watch it because i wanted to like i wanted to give it a chance and i wanted to see if i could find the good in it and like i do like a lot of the characters i like how it looks i like the episodic storytelling i don't mind that it is apparently like you know three different episodes of star trek pieced together um you know whether or not it's original that's not a big deal to me as long as the stories work And so it is true that in the second season, like they lose a lot of the fart joke, potty mouth humor. Um, They start to treat the women characters a bit better. Uh, I actually really like Commander Kelly Grayson a lot, but, but there's still just some underlying mixed message stuff. um, And that it just really, it doesn't align with, with, you know, Roddenberry's vision trademark. (laughs) Well, as I like to say, Um, So I I like the show. I think that it is a show that stands on its own. That is maybe an homage to Star Trek. I don't think that it would qualify as Star Trek. In fact, I said to my partner, like, if this had been what we got, I think, like, people would have been disappointed. Because it's, Uh, it's like... It's not like trash. It's not there at the very bottom, at least not with the second season. Um, but somewhere in between the Orville and Discovery, I think would be maybe a more perfect vision. Um, and that's only, I only say this of Discovery because Discovery just puts so much in these seasons that it's often hard to keep up. It's fraught, yeah. Yeah, um, and the turnover behind the scenes with these, you know, producers and yeah, writers coming and too. going. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, 
I think that's definitely led into kind of muddying with the stories and just like any, you know, any first seasons of Star Trek, like. Oh, yeah, they had no idea what they're doing. Yeah. 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 You know, it takes some time to get there. But I felt like season two of Discovery did. uh, I I liked it more than the first season. Um, I missed some of the development with characters like Laurel. I didn't really love what they did with her um and ash tyler i was like oh there could be so much more here and then we could yeah. talk about colbert and stamets ah um, yeah. well hey i'll tell you what save your uh, discovery talk yeah uh we'll definitely get there i was gonna say about social media it's so it's so dumb i feel like the lesson that people tried to learn in 2016 when Trump was elected uh, on the sort of left was that we're too in our bubbles and we're not engaging and we don't know what's going on out there. And so suddenly everybody wanted to like talk to their conservative friends, you know, or acquaintances online. How'd that turn out? I mean, it didn't turn out great because you can't talk to these people. And so my my block, it's block up a loser for me. Like my list is a mile long of people I block because this is like my digital home. Yeah. Like I come here to celebrate and, and uh, to share things. Yep. And I guarantee when somebody makes a, you know, a, a comment about discovery or something like that, I have a little test. I just click through their profile and I know immediately I'm going to see something problematic. And then I don't even miss like, why would I not block that person? Go for it. Who cares? I usually so like at this point with Twitter, um, I don't have a huge Twitter presence. I have um, just shy of about 4000 followers and you know, I am there to engage with my Star Trek Twitter family. Like Twitter is now my favorite place. I don't care for Facebook um, because it's just not the same type of interaction for me. Um, mm. My people, my tribe are there on on Twitter. And so like I've I do tweet a lot of positive messages about Star Trek. And right. um Sometimes those messages, like one was this last season of Discovery, and I talked about the fact that, you know, there are women in every position on this ship, and there are queer people on this ship, and there are people with disabilities on this ship, and all of those things apply to me, and therefore Discovery has shown me something in in one show that really makes me feel seen, and that did get a lot of attention, and it got a lot of positive attention, but then... I have to go to the tweet and read through the replies to see the ones that I normally wouldn't see. And I do do that so that I don't miss the positive stuff because I like to engage. I like to at least give it a heart and say, you know, you know, thanks. I saw your response type of thing. But there were so many comments about haven't you seen the rest of Star Trek, which got like, come on, people. Um, There were comments about there being gay characters. There were negative comments about having a woman admiral at admiral and how, you know, she was promoting genocide. There were people, you know, talking about how stupid it was for Spock to be dyslexic. And so it's. You know, that's why I choose not to see responses like that. Um, Yeah. So it's difficult because then I don't see things always from people who I, you know, it's a positive things. Um, Yeah. And the negative stuff is just it's so characterized by because I feel like like inclusiveness, societal acceptance of gays and lesbians is strong enough that the haters can't just say that they hate 
gay people on the show. You know, they can't use the F yep. word or whatever. So they have to find these oblique things to criticize. And the thing that I always see is somebody, you post something like that, like somebody posts something about how they love like Jet Reno, like she's really cool mm -hmm. and they're happy that we've got a, an inclusive show with a character like that. And they'll be like, oh, we get it. You know, there's gay people in it. Can't we focus on other things? Yep. Like it's a whole, you know, inclusive society. And it's like, I don't think so, man. I, the song that you're hearing, you're going to hear this song over and over. Yeah. It's an awesome song. It's uh, Get Into the Groove by Madonna or something like that. We're just going to keep playing it. You know, the reality of our future, um, the future is queer and colorful, as I like to say. Like, the, sure. you know, white cis men are not going to continue to rule the world. And so you need to get comfortable with those things um, because you're, that's, you're just not going to be the majority at some point. And yeah. it, you know... I often tell people that I curate my social media experience. And when I do that, I'm not trying to block out people who disagree with me. I'm only blocking out people who are approaching me from a place of hate, bigotry, um, ignorance without you know any desire to, to change their opinion or, or even listen to my opinion. And yeah, so yeah. I'm very fortunate that I have plenty of discussions with other Trek fans and just other people in general disagreeing about things and getting varied perspectives about all kinds of issues beyond Star Trek. I just don't want to engage with hateful people or yeah. with people who harass me. And yeah. that's a reality for me as a queer woman, like as a woman, right. like there are many factors there. And so I just decided I have to protect my own mental health and mm. emotional health. And I want to keep enjoying the happy, wonderful, positive Star Trek community I'm a part of. And so that's where I go. Um, I do know people that, you know, talk to both sides of the spectrum. Like, I don't like to talk about it like there's two yeah. sides, but well, there are, yeah, I mean, there are. I mean, no. it, at the end of the day, it very much is kind of like that. And, you know, again, you just continue to get that argument of, well, I want to see varied perspectives. And I'm like, well, yeah, but why do you want to tolerate people who are like championing those perspectives from places of hatred that condemn your yeah. friends? Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't understand that quite as much. Um, I have a friend who will talk to anybody. Uh, will take, you know, positive, agrees with them, negative, doesn't, whatever. She will uh, treat everybody, even friends, maybe a little bit com uh, combatively, but like she will just engage with whoever. And sometimes, sometimes it leads to like, okay, I guess we agree in different ways. Uh -huh. Sometimes she'll go 30 replies down and I can just see this from my position, you know, in her uh, feed or whatever and thinking, why are you doing this? Like you, you're coming, you're coming to it from a place of openness, I think, but they don't care. Yeah. If you can't tell that you're like making any change or having an impact and you're just getting ignorance or, um, persist, not persistence, um, word I can't think of, like why waste your energy? That's, that's just my thing. Like I don't, yeah. I, I will fight certain fights, but I'm not going to fight a fight where I know the other side is not going to, to listen or be open. It's disingenuous about, yeah. Yeah, right, and right. I mean, the reality is I'm probably just way too progressive for some of the people who would be open to having those conversations, um, and I can't help but be that way. Like, I am who I am, and then I am an ally to people who are oppressed that I am not in that same, you know, boat like yeah. and I'm going to fight for those people so yeah. that doesn't always come to <laughs> a great conclusion that people who don't believe in defending others so
That's great. I wanted to ask you about Body by Starfleet. I've seen a lot of people posting with the hashtag. There's a Twitter account. But how does it work? Do you have to work out in a Federation uniform? Nope, you can. So it was kind of random because it actually started just with a hashtag that my friend Adam Drosen uh, created back when we were prepping for STLV and we were all working out and like sharing our pictures and motivating each other. And that got turned into not not either of us, but someone else made made a Facebook group for it. And so yeah. and then I run the Twitter. And so basically it is just a group of Star Trek fans motivating each other, you know, sharing their workouts, sharing their workout tips, um, just people looking for motivation and support. So like in the Facebook group, which is Body by Starfleet, they do um, like Fitbit. I don't know if it's a contest, but like the challenge, weekly Fitbit challenge, um, okay. and also like Apple Watch. So all your trackers that count, like count your steps and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So they'll do that every year or every year, every week to keep people motivated. Um, but it's been really great. I've been working out pretty steadily at Orange Theory, uh, which is a high intensity <laughs> interval training type of, it's a, like a, membership thing you sign up for in their classes that you go to uh yeah. and i joined that gosh about four years ago and it is another thing that changed my life um and i do that because i have fibromyalgia and so that high intensity exercise actually helps manage my fibro sure um yeah. but yeah it's just really fun and and a good way to you know again that community spirit just keeping everyone motivated and working together and especially if someone gets injured or you know has a surgery or something and and they can't work out like we're still there for them like okay so yeah <laughs> Well, that's great. I mean, I definitely need motivation to do that kind of stuff. So I'm going to check that out. Awesome. Uh, thanks again for joining me on the show today. June is, of course, Pride Month. And I've already seen a lot of posts of celebration and support from Trekkies on Twitter. And I'm part of a few couple fandoms online. And I think Trek fandom has probably the greatest amount, or I guess I should say the greatest visibility or representation of LGBTQ fans that I've seen. Like, I'm positive there's gay and lesbian Star Wars or Stargate fans, but... I don't see organizations for them. Maybe I don't spend enough time in those online spaces. Oh, I, I don't know what to say because I'm not big into any other fandom right now either. <laughs> Just Trek? Um, you know, yeah, it really, enough. I really am. Like, I, you know, I'm, I love Stargate. I have Stargate tattoos. I have Lord of the Rings tattoos. I have Disney stuff. Like, I like other Yeah, where are the gay Lord of the Rings fans? Um, That's I, what I want to know. I don't know. I mean, I know that they're there. Um, sure. And I don't know. <laughs> Look, I don't know. Even with, with Star Trek, I'm not entirely sure, you know, the, the why behind it. Um, because as we know, we didn't have any openly gay characters in Star Trek until Discovery. Well that's true. I wonder if it's statistical because Trek fandom is so huge, or is it really the inclusive values present in the world of Star Trek that attracts those fans? I think perhaps that, but I also think that um, the evolution of our human culture and our humanity is just making it, um, you know, it's it's weird to say safer right now because it's definitely not safe in America and many other mm -hmm. countries for queer people. Um, right. not as it was, you know, three years ago, but, um, I think that the solidarity and the visibility of getting together and having pride parades, um, and 
like at STLV, when I went in 2009 for the first time, I saw no like clear presence. I mean, sure, there might have been someone with a rainbow shirt on, but that doesn't guarantee that you're queer either. Like wearing a rainbow yeah. is not an, an indicator. Um, yeah. However, yeah, it, I think it was 2016, 15, somewhere in there. It was when the um, Pulse nightclub shootings happened. Mm-hmm. I was just really, I don't know. I just felt like we needed to do something to like show solidarity. Um, there weren't any organizations going to at least the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. Um, apparently gays in space had been there and done a party outside of the convention, but nobody really knew about it. Um, okay. and so like I organized just like a, a photo op meetup. Um, kind of just a celebration, a little meetup. And then we kind of, you know, walk together through the hallways just to be like, we're here, you know, this, we're yeah. here and we want you to know that. And we want your allyship. Um, sure. And so we've done that a couple years since um, and then started having just more events. And, and I've talked to other people and they do notice that there just is more of a presence. And, you know, Gays in Space has come back and has had advertised parties and then now, you know, we've done Night of Diversity just because it's important to have more than one LGBTQ presence, right? Um, yeah, yeah. We're not all homogenous. We're not all the same type of people. And so it's important to have multiple faces and spaces and places to go to. Um, I, I want to believe that Discovery has helped uh, some people feel safer in coming or just encouraging them to come. But I don't know that for sure. When I when I have polled people, which I have, that hasn't been the truth. It's just been like, mm. I didn't know about the convention until now. So I, I think it is a cultural shift. You know, when I was in high school in the 90s, you know, we were just then having conversations about LGBTQ people. You know, I was watching Pedro on the real world, San Francisco, yeah, right. um, and his struggle with <laughs> HIV and AIDS. Right, and, yeah. Um, I was learning about those things that way. And in school, like, even though at that point in my life, I knew that I wasn't straight, um, it there wasn't an openness. And what was there... Uh, it was weird. Like it almost was like a fad. Um, and I don't know mm. if, if it, if it was, it's, it's weird. Um, yeah. it was just not the same environment that our kids have today. Like we didn't have an LGBTQ Alliance group at school. So right. now they have these wonderful supportive community groups and they can, you know, feel like they aren't alone. They can get the support they need because, you know, I didn't even understand my sexuality until I was an adult. I didn't understand mm. my identity until I was adult. These these kids, like, they're going through all this and trying to understand where they fit in, what label works, what labels don't, whether they even want a label. And so I think that we're just, you know, empowering our children to be who they truly are. And I think that that is leading to, you know, the reality of a visible queer community. And people wanting to see what they see in their real life in their fiction too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it. It was long overdue, and even yeah, now, yeah. Demets and Colbert, there's still a lot of division and how that story yeah. is being handled. And yeah, I was watching the DS9 episode we joined the other day um, in preparation for talking about it on the show, and I was thinking, 
if somebody had never seen Star Trek and you sat them down, you showed them this episode, just this episode, and you told them it was from a show that was super progressive and there were gay characters everywhere and there were straight characters and it wasn't a big deal. I think they totally believe you based solely off of that episode and its frank depiction of a same-sex relationship and how everybody's cool with it. But the reality is when you go to the rest of the series proper and really the franchise itself, that's not really what the world of Trek looks like. No, and even that episode and pretty much any other episode where there's a queer-coded or queer character, um, it is explained away by heterosexuality. Like, More or less. Um, you know, Lenara Khan and Jadzia, when they were previously partners... Um, it was a heterosexual relationship. It wasn't previously a lesbian relationship. So I, you know, again, it's kind of a double-edged sword. And there are many people who watch DS9 and who identified with Jedzia and who appreciated um, that kiss. And there are a lot of people who think that it wasn't enough. And that can really continued even with, you know, making Sulu gay and beyond, um, It wasn't enough. It kind of came out of nowhere. And even George Takei was like, I don't know about this. Yeah, George Takei, who, I don't know if people know this, but George Takei is a gay man. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Sulu's gay. It's like, okay. Um, You know, and he's, you know, he's a huge, big advocate uh, for the community. So that was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I want. All right. But again, you know, it did kind of come out of left field. And I totally appreciate sentiment and having that moment in the theater and watching, um, you know, Chris Pines Kirk look out and watch Sulu and his husband and daughter walk away. Like I cried, like I needed that. I needed to see that moment. Um, and I appreciate that in DS nine, like, I think there's a meme that's going around. It goes around from time to time, but it's, um, where Jedzia is meeting. I don't remember who it was. It was another Klingon, Oh, and I just watched, I think it was, is a blood oath where he knew her oh, as Curzon and she's right, like, yes. she's, he's like, Hey, Curzon. And she's like, no, I'm Jadzia now. And he's like, Oh, Jadzia, I love you. Like he just accepted right. that transition with no reaction. Yep, um, yep, and so, no problem. you know, I would say like, I think of all the characters, Jadzia is, is probably one of the most amazing for the community. She has been for me. Um, yeah. And DS9 really did do what they could. But even in What We Left Behind, the documentary that just came out, they addressed yes. it. And um, the guy... Yes, they... <laughs> yeah, they they ground the documentary to a halt, yeah. specifically to... Uh, they have like this list, basically, of these social issues that they are uh, claiming that they've sort of tackled on their show in the documentary. And they kind of stop everything and go, I don't know if we really deserve like full points for this one because yeah. we could have done more. And I appreciate that. And I think it's important to note that, you know, they bring up, could you have done that? And the reality that a lot of people don't think about is that, you know, it doesn't just stop with the writers and the producers and the people that are working on the show. It goes beyond Mm -hmm. that with what the network wants. And sure, you could say that they didn't push the network enough. They didn't fight for that. And I'm totally behind that. But at the same time, I also understand that they're working within certain limits and they do what they can do. Um, And so there's, there's always kind of a weird muddle even with the infamous kiss between Kirk and Uhura like you know that was whether or not you believe it was the first biracial kiss um I I think they're saying that it 
technically wasn't or not, you know what I mean by biracial kid. That's not what I mean. Sure. Um, No, I know what you mean. But even then it was a forced kiss. Yes. So it's, it really wasn't until discovery that we have gay characters played by gay people, whether that's Colmets and our Colmets, Colbert and Gamet or um, Jet Reno, (laughs) like they are all played by gay or lesbian characters, which is a phenomenal thing. Um, But then you fall into the whole trope discussion, which I've had so many times over these two seasons where I'll just say that we're ready for happiness. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for a lot of those characters that deserve happiness yeah. i think yeah yeah I, I um one of the things i liked about the doc was the fact that uh iris Stephen bear got to kind of hold rick berman's feet to the fire a little bit about the issue and i don't remember the exact wording but berman basically came back and said we wanted to do things like this trek was important for pushing these issues and these storylines about social justice forward but if we got canceled, we wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Yeah. And I think that that was sort of the prevailing thought at the time. So I don't know if you hate Rick Berman, that's another reason to hate him. Or, if you th- or you're an apologist. You can see how his hands were tied. Yeah. It's tough. I'm not a fan of Rick Berman, but, well, there you but go. I do like, I do, I do understand like, and again, it's like, where, where do you, how far do you push? Because yeah. I, I want to watch Star Trek. I don't want to see Star Trek canceled. Um, yeah, right. But at this point, like plenty of other shows, and again, Star Trek oh, wasn't yeah. on TV for a long time. But yeah, uh, like I was kicking around in the '90s, and you know, when this aired in '95, there was an increase at that time of gay characters and storylines on TV. I think like '97 was the Ellen cover of Time. Yeah, you know, the Yep, I'm Gay cover. Yeah. yeah which is kind of the peak of that. So Star Trek, at least in its own way, trying to get in on that. But outside of that gender swapping trill character and characters like the intendant, I guess, uh, there's no openly gay characters. There's no openly gay actors. And we wouldn't get like alien analogs or non-hetero people really a lot in the rest of the series to the end of Enterprise. Yeah, I know that they talked about making um, Malcolm Reed gay, but um, Mm -hmm, Dominic mm -hmm. Keating really was not okay with that, unfortunately. And so that didn't happen. Um, so, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that they're there now, but, and I love them and I love everything that Anthony and Wilson do. Um, and I love having Tignataro and I believe there are more queer characters in the show that we're just not totally sure about yet or don't know yet. Okay. Um, sure. well there's, <laughs> I think there was some discussion about Kayla Detmer and apparently David Mack when he wrote, um, I think it was, oh crap. Desperate, desperate hours. Desperate hours. I get them confused because it's like desperate yeah, hours. Desperate measures. Um, <laughs> <Right. laughs> when he was writing and he had her in there, I think he came back and said that she is bisexual, but that hasn't really been made clear in the show because her partner Tazzy, who she, she refers to them as like their best friend, but I mean my partner's my best friend. So sure. I'm just hoping we find out. But like we had two women, you know, lovingly dancing together in magic to make the sanus go man go mad like i believe yeah. that there's there's more on the ship that we just haven't seen but it's it's important to have those characters you know in the forefront and it's important to have them in the background um that diversity yeah, it's it's so important and you know star trek has always been about representation and so discovery's really knocked it out of the park with the representation <laughs> 
Yeah, and the network and the higher-ups, like at the studio, were apparently even against that background. I mean, Roddenberry had said for years at conventions and in interviews that it was his intention to include gay characters and storylines, which I think got whittled down to, let's at least, if we go to Riza, you know, you've got a man and a woman making out, you've got a man and a man making out, you've got two women holding hands, let's have at least that in the fringes of the universe, and yet even that would be, no, I don't think that we should do that. Yep. I mean, there's there's an ongoing struggle, um, a history of that struggle between like what people wanted and what the networks wanted. And I mean, you know, Ellen lost her show, like even when gay characters were were coming on screen in the 90s, like they were either not accepted or were problematic. And in, in, I think many, many cases, um, unlike shows that we have today uh, that are for the there are some out there that are still like, you know, accurately portraying LGBTQ people, not always sure. falling into tropes. They're out there. Um, yeah. But it just wasn't the same back then. So now is really the time. And I think that's why it was just very difficult to finally have these characters and then to have one of them murdered. Sorry, spoilers. Um, oh, well, it's a while ago. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, brought back to life. And even then there's tragedy. And look, as a person who has experienced life trauma and who is suffering currently from PTSD and in therapy and dealing with all of that, I greatly appreciate them um, showing what they have of Colbert's struggle. And that has made Colbert a very important character for me. But at the same time, um, it seems pretty consistent with most of my friends in the LGBTQ community that were tired of the tragedy. Um, it's like even Tignatari or Jet Reno, like even Jet Reno's wife is dead. Like, come on, can't somebody, <laughs> somebody <laughs> they, just be They happy? buried her off screen, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, right. If, if you ask, it seems like I haven't done like a poll, but I've seen plenty of discussions. I've been in discussions and the most popular beloved scenes with Stamets and Colber, I think the biggest one is the brushing their teeth in the bathroom scene. Yeah, right. Yeah. And <laughs> <That's great. laughs> that, I mean, that is really what we need. And so I will say, you know, again, I'm not trying to compare Discovery to the Orville because they're not the same and they're not comparable to me, um, but they have a same sex species um in that show and so there are two partners and then they have a child and Mm -hmm. what it what it shows because even that relationship is not perfect it has its struggles but they do Mm -hmm. show some of the work that they do like they show them going to counseling together they show them communicating through difficult things and yes they've shown some of that in discovery as well um it's just again because of how much discovery puts into every episode you don't quite get the focus on on things like that like even at this point as much as i enjoyed pike and spock and number one and the whole you know integration with tos in the second season of discovery if we hadn't had that we could have had more focus on our main characters and more to Colburn Stamich, which might have made it better received by audiences. I know a lot of people were seeing hashtag bury your gaze in the death of yep. Colber. And yep. I have a friend who is really frustrated with this is her like pet peeve with the per, uh, perpetuation of the sort of the evil lesbian trope or the opportunistic bisexual yep. trope that she sees yep. in uh, Emperor Giorgio. Yep. yep. And that's that's I mean, that's what Kira, um, Intendant Kira was like. 
yeah. that is also a very common trope. And I will say, like, we got to a point where, um, like, the, the word pansexual got brought up. And I'm a pansexual woman, so I'm attracted to people regardless of their gender, regardless of their um, sexual identity, gender identity, everything else. Like, I just like everybody and everything. Well, sure. I was going to say everything, but that might be weird. Um, well. <laughs> not objects, people. Um, right. But, yeah, I just like all kinds of people. And so for me, like there was, there was instant criticism again of, of pansexual people being in the mirror universe and thus, you know, evil. I don't think everyone in the mirror universe is evil. I, you know, it's, there's, it's much grayer than that. Um, you know, there was resistance within the mirror universe and everything that was sure. happening. So not everyone is just an evil, terrible person. And <laughs> right. well, like, well, sure, <laughs> you know, it sucks to have that in this alternate universe that so it may be in the gray area of that trope. What I took yeah. from it is I had people like outside of the queer community being like, well, what's pansexual? What does that mean? Um, and thankfully, nobody asked me if I wanted to have sex with pans, which I appreciate. And you can edit that out if you need to leave it or whatever. No, that's um, fine. That is a question <laughs> I have gotten before. And no, um, I appreciated that people were asking and I got to answer and talk about who I am and clear yeah. up any misunderstandings. Um, so just having the presence of that word was important to me and in the context of how that scene worked i didn't feel like it was a negative thing at all really okay. um, but i do i do i i i'm in line with the barrier gays and evil bisexuals yeah. um i think <laughs> i don't think there's a way to say that discovery hasn't um yeah fallen into using those tropes there but it seems like it. Yeah. I mean, in defense of the whole Mira Giorgio thing, you know, she is a provocateur as a character. And so, you know, I don't think that we have a character sheet for her exactly. But if telling somebody if coming on to a gay man who is not interested in acting predatory is going to make him uncomfortable, I guess I can see why the character would do that. And even if you look at the intendant, I see that more as she's, you know, she's a foil for Kira. Kira, of course, is abstemious and sort of upright and so if there's going to be some opposite of her it's this you know lady that'll you know do anything that moves yep. kind of situation it, so i guess i i see like the math of it yeah. but it still comes off like eh. yeah it, it definitely is not okay like you know being a, a person with sexual agency shouldn't be something that's you know taboo or in the, the yeah. mysterious yeah. you know evil universe or anything like that so we want to work against those things. So I definitely yeah. like I'd love to see, you know, a trans character in a, in season three yeah. or, you know, in some of this other myriad of Star Trek that we're getting. I'd love for um, George Alavesos, I think is how you pronounce his name. And I'm sorry, it's not in front of me. And I always get it wrong. But he's the guy in the wheelchair. And oh, you sure, see yeah. him like in several of the episodes. Um, he is. They call him out in Magic to make the sanest man go mad for his sacrifice because we assume he was injured in the war, but he doesn't have right. any lines. You never actually know his name. Yeah, he just kind of cruises by. It's like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah, and it's like, well, on <laughs> one hand, like I definitely appreciate that presence, but where does that start to fall into tokenism when you just have someone there to have them there mm. and you're yeah. not recognizing them in any way? And that's kind of where even 
number one became a, a little bit of a hot button issue because where are we going to find out her name? Interesting. Yeah. You know, you would think, and it's something that, that I noticed watching, um, oh, the Romulan episode that you, you recommended that I can't. Oh, um, yes. Um, the Enterprise Institute. Yes. And so, you know, the Romulan commander, like she doesn't have a name until she whispers it to Spock. And right, we right. still never find out what her name was. And I guess they do that for mystery. I don't know. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, I, I appreciated that with Discovery, like, you know, Pike did call her Una, which was very difficult to hear because it happened very quickly and it didn't come across on the closed captioning well, but it is there. Yeah. Uh, but when, you know, she's being questioned and they asked her name, she says it's number one. And so I'm okay with that because she's, she's showing that agency of claiming that name. It's yeah. not like throwing a nickname at somebody, which was another area that I really, it really upset me that they started calling Owashikun Owo. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And so that, that lost me some Facebook friends. Um, <laughs> but it's her look her name and this was this is just me and the way that i work and when names are difficult to pronounce people especially white people tend to come up with some nickname to make it easier for them okay. right okay and so yeah. the fact that apparently tilly called her this first and then i didn't notice that i noticed when pike called her owo and i had noticed that different characters pronounced the name differently across the board and it just bothered me that instead of having a scene with her saying oh just call me owo it was you know white characters taking and I forget where um, the character is supposed to be from, but, you know, taking a character with it, with a, a name that three different people have all pronounced differently and shortening that themselves. And then just shortening it. Yeah. Yeah. That's just... Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Cause I always just thought it was sort of like a Scotty type thing, you know, like a, a term of affection, but I can see how it's like, yeah, you could just add two more syllables. That's yeah, not that tough. It's, it's a little different. Um, and especially when they're name when they're, it's an ethnic name, like I hate, I hate, even hate to say ethnic name. I get really, well, I see. I know what you mean, but you know, it's, and it's, it, a lot of people accuse me of overreacting and like, you know, I, fine <laughs> if, but at the end of the day, and it's okay if they talked about like, um, Olatunde Osunsanmi, the producer, I think mm -hmm. he's executive mm -hmm. producer or I can't remember, but the director. director yeah, yeah. Um, and so they call him Tunde, I think. And I was like, well, sure. And I don't know if he was given that nickname or recommended that nickname or what. And I totally get how nicknames can happen. And that is all fine and well. I'm just trying to reinforce the reality of what happens to people. And, you know, it's just it's not cool to shorten someone's name by your own accord without their consent. And that was, I agree. Hev. Yeah, like that's the bottom line, you know, and <laughs> trust me, I hate yeah. being called Hev. My aunt called me that forever. <laughs> I'd rather be called Pumpkin. Ah, but yeah, so okay. my minor rant about that. We found a sore spot here. We'll move on. Uh, besides a particular fullness of time, do you think that Brian Fuller, the co-creator of the show and a gay man, was uh, one of the chief architects of the new face of Trek that we see in disco uh, as far as LGBTQ representation? Or was this just inevitable? I think this was inevitable. I think that 
they they knew it was time because he wasn't the only person behind this. You know, he wasn't the only person involved um, oh, yeah. in, in creating this. I think from what I've seen with Discovery that this was all very intentional from the beginning, having that representation. Um, yeah. I don't even know what to say about Brian Fuller. Um, I don't know either. Yeah. I've watched many of his previous shows. I've enjoyed them. I loved Wonderfalls was probably one of my favorites. Oh my um, God. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was definitely disappointing to have him leave, be fired, whatever. It was even yeah. more disappointing to hear about rumors of like bullying from other producers that were let go. Yeah. Um, especially several of those being gay people, and so, again, there's a lot of confusion as to why the gay characters have these tragic storylines when there are so many queer people behind the scenes writing them and what. I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird space. Um, yeah. And we don't every time you think that it's sort of shaken out, like we get something else. Yeah. So now that we've got. Uh, Kurtzman himself and, and now Michelle Paradise running the show. I'm just fingers crossed to just have, make sure, keep everything copacetic and we get to go through an entire story or an entire season with two people running it and we see what we get. Yep. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to that aspect. Of I it. am. Is there a line that will cross? Do you think maybe we won't know or feel it, but at some point knock on wood, we'll achieve total egalitarianism and equal representation in Trek uh, but we'll still need some characters to die, and yeah. there will be oversexed characters or characters who weaponize their sexuality, and they'll be gay, but it won't make you think of these threadbare tropes that we're talking about. Will there be a point where we can stop being wary of that? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I think so. I Look, I evolution is slow, and that that is yeah. what yeah. I say. Like, <laughs> that is something I keep close to my heart every day because – when you like, I just finished reading a book um, by Sarah McBride, who's a trans woman, um, and she's she's works for um, Hillary Clinton's campaign right now, and okay. it's basically her autobiography and talking about all of the work that she did with the Obama administration and fighting for okay. trans rights. Um, she also lost her partner, who was a trans person who died of cancer, and it was extremely mm. tragic. And they were very young, and it's a very moving book, and I look up Sarah McBride and read it. Um, sure. It was very difficult to read about all the wonderful things happening for protection of marginalized people during that administration. And then to come back, you know, put the book down and come back to the reality of what we're living in now. And the fact that all of, you know, many of the rights that people worked so hard to, to get for us are being stripped away, especially for my trans family. Um, yeah. So I just tell myself evolution is slow. And just like how I talked about the fact that our kids are becoming more and more comfortable with being out and with exploring their sexuality and their identities. Um, mm -hmm. I do have hope that one day, like I said, this world will be queer and full of color. And a lot of the, I mean, there will still be hate in the world as long as there are human beings. I think that's a sad reality. I don't think we're going to find a Star Trek utopia. Um, yeah. I don't think a utopia is possible, but I, I do think that we will, not in my lifetime probably, but sometime in, in humanity's future, uh, yeah. maybe after we go to Mars. I don't know. You know, people talk about what will really happen when we make contact with life outside of our planet um, with sentient life and aliens and that if there's ever a threat to our planet, 
like an alien invasion, you know, we'll have to come together as a world. And, you know, maybe that will be it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> right now, it's kind of scary out there. But I I hop on to YouTube, which sometimes is the cesspool of oh, the boy. internet. Um, oh, yeah. But like I curate my other social media, I'm pretty lucky to get to watch some amazing channels on YouTube, especially those that give a voice to marginalized people. Um, yeah. I think that that is a gold mine for for people who live in rural areas or who are sheltered and don't know, like you don't know a trans person. Um, right. Yeah. You don't know a Russian person. I highly recommend, you know, using social media to make those connections because yeah. you can't travel. You can travel within your computer and on the Internet and right. meet those people and get to know them and understand that they are just like you. Yeah, the internet erases those distances. On the subject of activism, if there's Trek fans listening to this who are uh, LGBTQ or even ones who are allies and want to see the franchise not backslide but continue to show humanity in all of its diversity, what do you think they can do? I think they just need to continue to be a voice. Um, okay. And not everybody feels empowered to be a voice, and that's why allyship is so important. Um Aside from people like me who I'm just a weird open book and I've always been this way and I talk about my life and I talk about personal things that maybe I shouldn't or maybe make other people uncomfortable. I don't know. I've just I've always been like this and I can I can say things I can speak for, my, for myself and the communities I belong in and then I can speak as an ally for other people. Um, yeah. And so I've done a really great job of this. I say that humbly. Um, sure. with, yeah. I really, I do. I'm not full of myself. Um, I, <laughs> I try very hard to, to be an advocate for my communities and for people that I can help. Um, I've done that within Star Trek and now I've joined the world of fencing and I'm a longsword fencer, um, oh, wow. as is my partner. And so we run a club and it's, when I came to the club, like, thankfully, my partner's an awesome human being, and, and our club was already open to, you know, the queer community or people with disabilities and, and just everyone. Um, but within the larger HEMA community, which HEMA is Historical European Martial Arts, um, there's there's more, uh, you know, besides Longsword. Um, but within that community, I even see difficulty because it's a sport. And it's a competition. Well, we have competitions. We have tournaments. And so there are questions of should trans people be able to fence in tournaments? And should a trans woman fence in the women's tournament? And of course, a trans woman should fence in the women's tournament. Um, but now I see a space where I need to be a voice for my out for I need to be an ally for my trans family and the HEMA community. And so, you know, whether it's Star Trek or any other fandom, if you are a person who is comfortable using your voice, um, do that and, and do what is uncomfortable as do, especially what is uncomfortable because that is what's needed. If you are uncomfortable talking about it, now, I'm not saying put yourself in a crappy position where you're going to endanger <laughs> right, right, yourself right. or anything else. Or, you know, I'm just saying that if you see a place where you it may feel uncomfortable to say something, like we talk about having the discussion with our family. And yeah, I'm not, yeah. I don't want people to break up their family. Like, I understand that's a very gray area. 
but there sure. are times when you need to stand up and do what makes you uncomfortable to sometimes help save the lives of other people who don't share your privilege. And so that is what I recommend that everyone do. Um, just continue to use your voice when you're empowered to do so and continue to be an ally. Um, talk to Star Trek, you know, send tweets. I think that you can tell when someone is open to listening. And yeah. in those circumstances, I always encourage trying to have discussions um, because that's where you will make a difference. And I think, especially now in America and in other countries, like people voted for things that they thought were a thing that they weren't, if that makes sense. Um, or they voted in an area that might be better for their family, but that hurts other people. And like, <laughs> one of the things we were told, <laughs> we being progressive liberal people was that, oh, you'll survive Trump, just like we survived Obama. And I'm sorry, but people weren't dying because of the increased amount of hatred and bigotry in this country. Um, right. You know, uh, the hate crimes have gone up in our country. And that is, yeah. specifically linked to the amount of bigotry yeah. that uh, so so yeah you have to fight that and and so i encourage everybody to do that and to just you know find and be part of these communities um yeah. and you know like star trek twitter may not be the place for you but there might be another website or a facebook group or somewhere i just really encourage people to find some community where they belong where they feel safe um, and they feel empowered, whether that's just to be them or to use their voice in some way. I think that yeah. when the world is big and scary, it's really important to have a community behind you. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Heather. Uh, I love talking about this stuff and things being what they are. I'm really proud of Trek for finally reaching this point uh, of representation, even if it took 50 years. Yep. Yeah, me too. And I think it's going to get better. And we have a lot more Star yeah. Trek coming our way and a lot more opportunities. And so I'll yeah. be asking Star Trek, you know, <laughs> now that we're there, let's fine tune it a little bit. Um, but yeah. I'm very excited to see where we are boldly going. It is a golden age of Star Trek once again. And it's really great to be a Star Trek fan right now. So thank you so much for having me. It's been a great time. Yeah.